I don't think they heard a word I said. All right, I'm on now. Start over, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We love You for Your goodness. We love You for Your joy, Lord. You give us, Lord. We love You for Your Spirit. We thank You that Your Spirit is here, tangible this morning. We pray that You would open Your Word to us, Lord, and bless this time, that You would be glorified, Lord. And we pray that You would give us the strength to take this command, this commission, seriously and go forth, Lord. May we be challenged, equipped, and encouraged today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Known as the Great Commission there. And honestly, um, I'm going to come back to that later. I'm not going to preach directly off of that, just being transparent. But I want to start with a question this morning. How many people here today would be blessed with Irish blood? Raise your hand. All right. This sermon's for you. Now, for all those who have not been perfected, don't have Irish blood, please raise your hands. Okay, this sermon's for you as well, and maybe this is a nod to my Irish grandmother. Um, but today I want to talk about a missionary tale. If you've seen uh, the title of my sermon, it's called A Missionary Tale, and a couple days ago we just celebrated something. What would that be? St. Patrick's Day, yes, I am wearing green to honor my Irish blood, so yeah, thank you, thank you for the round of applause there. And it's it's St. Patrick's, we would call him Patrick, um, and we'll get into the saint maybe a little bit later, but we're going to look at what a remarkable man he was simply by his faith in Christ, um, and we're going to try to see what nuggets we can glean from his life. Patrick should rightly be considered a hero, especially to the church. As we shall see, this hero status, status is based on a life totally surrendered to Christ. The Lord used him as one of the greatest missionaries this world has ever seen. But there's many myths, legends, and misconceptions about St. Patrick's or St. Patrick. I want to go through a few of them. First one, Patrick has nothing to do with leprechauns, pots of gold, or the luck of the Irish. How many knew that? Okay, gotcha. Number two, Patrick was not a drunk. Did you know that? Side note, you know, we go out preaching a lot of times on St. Patrick's Day. We were on Friday night in Columbus, had a couple young people with me, and there were a lot of people there who probably thought well, Patrick was a drunk, but Patrick wasn't a drunk. Third one, Patrick didn't drive literal snakes out of Ireland. Uh, we'll touch on that later, but there is the, the story that he drove the snakes out of Ireland. And on March 17th, which we just celebrated on Friday, was actually not his birthday. How many knew that? It was the day you know that? Very good. You raised your hand. What was it? The day he died. Very good. Everly knew that. It was the day he died. That's the day we celebrate. We don't actually know the date of his birth. And here's another one. How many know that Patrick was not Catholic? Maybe one, two. He was not Catholic. He actually belonged to the autonomous Celtic church, um, which was in Britain. And that brings me to my last point. 
How many knew that Patrick wasn't even Irish? Not to, I mean, about half of you know that. Patrick was not Irish. He was from the area of what is now Dumbarton, Scotland. So, I want to look at Patrick's uh, story this morning. As I mentioned, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, that would really, I can say, would be a life verse for him. And we will revisit that later. Um, but I want to share three observations as we, at the end, after we look at his life story, then three applications for each of us. So, I'm going to use a PowerPoint today. I'm kind of jumping forward in technology, so you can follow along with me. The life of Patrick. He was born around 390 A.D. in modern-day Scotland. His father, and I'm going to read some of my sermon notes here, Calpornius, because I honestly would not remember these names, was a deacon, and his grandfather, Potitus, was a priest in the church. Despite being raised in a godly home, however, by his own admission, Patrick was not a Christian in his youth. Patrick was born near the end of the declining Roman Empire. The empire was falling apart really from within with mass migration and constant wars. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Mass migration and constant wars. Anyway, we'll, we'll let that stay right there. Most of the fighting men um, from Britain were drawn away to far-off lands because they were part of the Roman Empire at that time. This was the very waning end of the Western Roman Empire, which was falling apart. Britain was going to fall into pieces during Patrick's lifetime and everything. And most of the fighting men had been drawn away to pr protect Rome from the Goths, for example. Um, so they were very vulnerable, Patrick's homeland was, to raiding pirates from Hibernia. And where's Hibernia, you ask? Anyone ever heard of Hibernia before? That sounds sort of cold. Hibernia, right? That's what it means. It means land of winter. It was a land controlled by Druids. It was notorious for paganism and cruelty, even to the level of human sacrifice, where they would build a wicker man. I think we've seen this in maybe old movies or whatever. They build this wicker man, and people go in there, and they would have human sacrifices. What's interesting, I don't think they do this at Burning Man, but how many know a lot of things that are new really aren't new? They're, they're a takeoff of something old. And again, they're not doing human sacrifices at Burning Man and other festivals. Are they still like wicker men to these days? So this is still, some of these practices are still going on. Hibernia was a very, very dark land spiritually where Satan was in charge. And Hibernia eventually became to be known as the land of Ire or Ire land. In How the Irish Saved Civilization, historian Thomas Cahill wrote of Hibernia, Romans, in their first encounters with these exposed, insane warriors, were shocked and frightened. They were howling, and it seems possessed by demons. So outrageous was their strength, featuring all the terrors of hell itself. These were Roman legions, men who were used to fighting war, and they were terrified of these Irishmen. One of the Hibernian raiding parties captured a 16-year-old Patrick, I'm sorry, I'm behind myself. He was raised in a godly home. He was taken captive at age 16, thereabouts. The pirates took them back to their land of darkness where they sold him into, into slavery to a cruel Druid chieftain. And Druid slave masters or chieftains were not known for their kindness. They were known for being obsessed with fear and with death. They would impale human heads on walls and posts throughout the territory as a warning. Like if you try to escape, Here's what will happen to you. I mean, they, I was reading a story on Patrick, actually, and they talked about 
just everywhere you go, there would be impaled heads. I mean, a, a fearful thing. These were very, very cruel people. So he was taken captive at age 16. Then he was sold into slavery. They took him back to Ireland, had probably a slave auction. He was sold uh, to his master. And for the sec- next six years, Patrick was a slave. How many know that he was enslaved as a youth? He was taken. Very good. See, I see a lot of hands of the youth. Your parents have done well raising you up. So he, he was sold into slavery, and he became a shepherd, work that was bitterly isolated and strictly enforced. It is easy to imagine Patrick living in fear, facing a very uncertain future. He later wrote in his autobiography, Confession, and as a side note, that is free public domain if you'd like to read it. It's a very interesting read. He only wrote, I think, believe two of his works. Confession would be one of them, and I'm going to take a lot of his words. We're actually going to hear them as I read them this morning directly from the man himself. This is what he wrote in Confession. He said, After I arrived in Ireland, I tended sheep every day, I prayed, and I prayed frequently during the day. More and more the love of God increased and my sense of awe before God. Faith grew and my spirit was moved, so that in one day I would pray up to 100 times, and at night perhaps the same. I even remained in the woods and on the mountain, and I would rise to pray before dawn in the snow and ice and rain. I never felt the worse for it, and I never felt lazy. As I realize now, the Spirit was burning in me at that time. So it was these times as a shepherd, that really was where he drew near to God. Again, he was raised in a godly home, but he'd never called on the Lord. He was indifferent to the, to the things of Christ and God's kingdom. But God sometimes puts you in a harsh place to get your attention. Amen? And he got Patrick's attention. He started calling out to the Lord, and he would fast even while starving in demonstration of his hunger for God. One night, Patrick heard a voice. Patrick, well have you fasted. And again, this is from his confession. These are his own words. Very soon you shall travel to your homeland. Behold, your ship is prepared. Again, spent six years tending sheep. God speaks to him in a dream. He fled on foot. The ship was around 200 miles away through a patchwork of kingdoms and bog lands without roads. The risk of being recaptured was ever present. And if he would have been recaptured, you know what that probably meant? death. He says, I traveled in the power of God who directed my paths toward the good, and I feared nothing, he wrote. Patrick found a ship. Patrick found, I'm sorry, Patrick found a ship, and he was denied passage. It's a very interesting story. Not only was Patrick a slave once, but he was actually a slave twice. He went to this ship, and the captain basically scoffs at him, And then he told him he's a runaway slave that God had given a dream, and they didn't even recognize his God. And the captain was like, get out of here, you know, before something bad happens to you. So what did Patrick do? What would you do in that situation? Patrick went away not far from there where he could still see them and started to pray. And as he was praying, you know what happened? He heard a voice yelling out to him, young man, come back, there's room for you. And they took him on the ship under the stipulation, however, though, that he would become their slave. So here he goes. He went out of the frying pan right into the fire. He left slavery. And he's probably thinking on some level, God, what are you doing here? You know, you've allowed me to escape from being a shepherd and being enslaved. I never thought I'd see my homeland again. He had longed to get back to what was then Britain. He had longed to see his family. So here he makes this escape 200 miles, you know, probably fearful the whole time. And he thinks, man, here's the ship God has shown me. And guess what? Immediately he gets thrown back into slavery. So they go on a cruise, and they end up going to what is now France, known as Gaul at that time. 
But God speaks to him in another dream during this cruise. And he says, you will only be with them for 60 days, a slave of theirs. And you know what happened? It came to pass, exactly as it said. They eventually landed on Gaul. They went through a journey um, in modern-day France along a coast where I think the, the Goths, or I forget some of the other groups, had come through there, and they created terror in that country, and they came to these isolated villages. His group on this boat that he was with that had taken him captive, these pirates, if, if you will, they were starving and they eventually turned to Patrick. It kind of reminds me of the story of Jonah and the story of Paul when they shipwrecked. And they turned to him and said, what about your God? We're starving here. They've been 28 days without food. And he says, turn to your God. So Patrick prayed, and guess what? A herd of pigs came running to them, again, from his own account. And they feasted sumptuously and were filled, had a two-day feast, and then went on and eventually found a village. And then at the 60th day, he looked back. They said, you're now free to go. So he, he spent some time in France, making friends with brothers and sisters in the Lord, maybe a month or so, then he eventually catches a boat, goes back to Britain, is reunited with his family, which he wanted to do all along. I'm going to take a quick drink here, sorry. Reunites with his family on the western coast of, again, Scotland, or, or what is now Great Britain, and they're ecstatic for him to be home. They're like, man, how much we've missed you. They thought their son was dead. It was almost like the, it wasn't the prodigal son. I mean, he didn't go away in sin. But here's a son who is returning from the dead. Have a feast. They give him a few months where he is, uh, just take some rest. You've had a terrible ordeal. And he feels in his heart that God has shown him in a dream that you must come back to Scotland. I want to read that here. He said, this is Patrick's account. He said, this is when he had come home. A few years later, I was again with my parents in Britain. They welcomed me as a son and they pleaded with me after all the many tribulations I had undergone, I should never leave them again. And we can understand his parents think that. We don't want you to leave. You're, you're our son. It was while I was there that I saw a vision in the night. A man whose name was Victoricus coming, as it were, from Ireland with so many letters that could not be counted. He gave me one of these, and I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish people. While I was reading out the beginning of the letter, I heard, or I thought I heard at that moment, the voice of those who were beside the wood of Vaclet near the western sea. They called out, as it were, with one voice, We beg you, holy boy, come to walk again among us. This touched my heart deeply, and I could not read any further. I woke up then. Thanks be to God, after many years, the Lord granted them what they were calling for, that he went back. So he had this dream, and he's like, my head? You know, he had wanted to get married, have a family, all these things, be raised. And he was a Roman, once again. He wanted to be, even though it was a falling empire, he wanted to stay there in Scotland and be around home. But God had another call in his life. And praise the Lord, he answered that call. But he went to his church, rightfully so. He went to the spiritual authority, and they didn't feel the same way. Um, he had missed his formal training as a young man because nothing that he did, but he had been taken a slave as a youth. That's when he was going to go learn his Latin, Derek. That's what he was missing out on. He couldn't Latin. Uh, the Bible at that time was written in Latin. He couldn't translate the Scriptures very well. So they said, you need to learn Latin. You need to basically grow in your time. And they're like, we'll see if this vision was really from God. So, cut to the chase, long story short, he spent 
close to 20 to 25 years back in his native land getting trained up. During that time, he became ordained as a presbyter, um, which means basically he, he was a deacon first, I'm sorry. Then he became a presbyter where he could preach um, maybe a pastoral role. He would preach the sermons and, and whatnot. And then there were some times of misfortune. There was actually a time um, when a close friend betrayed him very badly. A close, his closest friend, he had told something Patrick had confided in him. And I don't know what this is. Patrick never admitted what it was. He actually talks about this in his confession that he wrote. But his friend confided in him. They were thinking about making Patrick a bishop. And his friend actually, Patrick went away to go with a group of people that were going on a, a boat to France at that time. And his friend's like, I will speak for you before this council and I'll speak good for you. Well, his friend didn't speak good for him. They said, you shouldn't even consider Patrick for this position because he did something so heinous as a 15-year-old and they shot him down for being a bishop. So again, when he found out about this, not only was he, he crushed that his closest friend, because again, he was a man who was celibate. He was set apart for the gospel. His friend, they were like this, but his friend did him in. But he's also crushed because he thought, what about these visions and dreams for years? God, you have put this in my heart to go back to the people of Ireland. He had other dreams, and he couldn't get away from this. He thought these dreams about, that had gone on for 20 years had been dashed. But God, amen? God had a way. They found out around this time that the church in Rome, which we would know as the Roman Catholic Church, uh, sent a man called Palladius to be a missionary into Ireland, and the church there, the Celtic church they, they was belonged to, thought, man, we have really dropped the ball. We have had a young man here who had learned the language of the Gauls, or not the Gauls, but the Gaelic language of the people in Ireland, who has ha had a heart to go, and we've been sitting on him for years. So suddenly they rushed around, and him and a small group of men went back after the training and go back to Ireland to rescue his captors. And it was interesting, Palladius went about a year, some people say maybe a few years before Patrick to Ireland, but he was sent there, not as much, as, he was a missionary, but not so much as to convert people to preach the gospel, but there were a lot of Christians in Ireland. You know how that came to be? Because of all these raiding parties, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of former British citizens that had been taken captive. So there was, there was a small minority of Christians in this land. So Palladius went really to minister to them. So Patrick ends up going there about a year after Palladius. Palladius comes back to Ireland. Patrick went back to rescue his captors. And he was in his mid-40s by this time. 20 plus years had passed, but the call was still there. Maybe I'm speaking to you today, and I know I'm speaking to myself. I can relate to Patrick very well. Where God has put a call on your life, maybe to do something Whatever it is, only you know that. And you think, man, has God forgotten? Has God shirked this call? Is, is it passed me by? I say no. And this is a prime example of that. Amen? It's God's timing. See, we think about what if Patrick would have went before. He was so zealous as a young man. I think in my own life, being zealous as a young man, am I really going before what God wants to do? Am I, am I really under church's authority? Am I really been raised up um, to do the work that God has called. So Patrick waited on God's timing, and God's timing is perfect. Upon landing on Irish shores, Patrick used his intimate knowledge of their clan system to convert first the chiefs, and then they who would then convert their clans through their influence. And I read an account of that actually this morning where Patrick went to a chief after he landed. Basically, 
they landed, him and a small group, maybe five, six guys, and they saw these three powerful warriors standing on a hillside who came down and confronted them. They're like, what do you want? And they're like, take us to your king. You know, we always say, take us to your leader, like when someone comes from out. But that's what they said, take us to your king. And they're like, well, who's sending you? They said, we come from a, the great king from far off land, and we want to tell you about him. So anyway, they end up having a feast. Patrick was the guest of honor at this feast, and he presents the gospel to these people. And a lot of them, the king unfortunately did not, but a lot of them gave their lives to Christ. And through their influence in this clan system in Ireland, Christianity spread. And even his former master, by the name of Milchu, Patrick's master when he was a shepherd, had been a chief. And reportedly, Milchu was one of Patrick's earliest converts. Now, Milchu, by all accounts, could have killed him because he was a runaway slave. But he realized that God had done something in his life. And he heard the word and he received the word. So, so Milchu received the gospel. So in short order, Patrick had established a beachhead for the gospel. And with much ground being taken for the kingdom of God, there was also much opposition. Know that. When you're going to do something for the Lord, when you feel God is raising you up to do something, you better expect opposition. If there's no opposition, I'd question if God's really in it. And I speak from experience, so we can talk about that later. To illustrate this warfare... I want to read an account of a famous story showing what was happening in there in the spiritual realm. This was Patrick's Paschal fire on the hill of Slain. According to tradition, Patrick lit a Paschal fire on the hill of Slain in 433 AD in defiance of the local pagan king. Paschal comes from the Hebrew word Pasach, meaning Passover. The Paschal Fire celebrates the Passover mystery of salvation through Jesus Christ. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, Patrick challenged royal authority by lighting the Paschal Fire on the Hill of Slain that night on Easter Eve. It chanced to be the occasion of a pagan festival at Terra, during which no fire might be kindled until the royal fire had been lit. So he knew what he was, I think, doing. He lit this fire and he was challenging them directly. The hill of Terra was about 10 miles away. It was a significant pagan worship site going back millennia. It contains a number of ancient monuments and according to tradition was the seat of the High King of Ireland. Here's how a writer from the late 600s described Patrick's challenge to the Druids at Terra that evening. The custom was that whoever lit a fire before the king on that night, on that one night of the year, Easter's Eve, would be put to death. And Patrick knew this. He lit this fire. This is punishable unto death. Patrick lit the Paschal fire before the king on the hill of Slain. The people saw Patrick's fire throughout the plain, and the king ordered a number of chariots to go and seize Patrick. The king exclaimed, If we do not extinguish, extinguish this flame, it will sweep over all of Ireland. How prophetic. Because that flame was the gospel of Christ. Seeing that the heathen were about to attack him, Patrick arose and said clearly and loudly, May God come to scatter His enemies, and may those who hate Him flee from His face. Guess what happened? By Patrick's curse in the king's presence, seven times seven men fell. So they say around 50 men fell. And the king, driven by fear, came and bent his knees before the holy man Patrick. Many have called this even have even called this Patrick's Elijah-type encounter with the pagan leaders in that region. And we think of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. I mean, this was supernatural. I mean, signs and wonders were following the gospel as we see. 
Patrick, who had stoked the fire in honor of Christ's resurrection, so impressed the local population with the high, that the high king ordered the protection of Patrick and his new religion in that area. Patrick had an early victory for the gospel at the Hill of Slain. With the support of the local king, this event gave Patrick momentum in this region of Ireland. However, as Patrick expanded his preaching, there are accounts of Druid kings in other regions trying to ambush and kill Patrick nearly a dozen times. Back to his own writings and confession, Patrick wrote, Daily I expect murder, fraud, or captivity, but I fear none of these things because of, of the promises of heaven. Kind of makes me think of some of the songs we sang this morning, though through fire, through storms, through floods, God is with me. Patrick knew that going on. The merciful God often freed me from slavery and from 12 dangers in which my life was at stake, not to mention numerous plots. God is my witness who knows all things even before they come to pass, as he used to forewarn even me of many things by a divine message. I came to the people of Ireland to preach the gospel and to suffer insult from the unbelievers. I am prepared to give even my life without hesitation and most gladly for his name, and it is there I wish to spend my life until I die. And that's where he died, was in Ireland. And the gospel continued to go forth in power. I read some other accounts. Some of these say they are legends. Some are not. But I know at one point he went to go to another tribunal before a king. And there were assassins that were there to assassinate him. And a thick fog came upon him and his men. And they passed through. And they were shocked. They're like, kind of like when Paul escaped. You know, they had assassins that wouldn't, weren't going to eat until Paul was killed. I imagine they're still hungry. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that's a bad joke. But they, they were going to kill Patrick. Didn't happen. And he ended up going before this, this king. And supposedly there was like a wizard fight where even like the high priest of the entire Druid clan was fighting Patrick. And this Druid allegedly started levitating. And Patrick basically called in the name of Jesus, stop. And this guy came down and fell on his head and died. Showing, I mean, where they had had this thing about cutting off heads, that that curse, if you will, like stomping on the snake's head. The snake's head in Ireland had been defeated. Patrick truly drove the snakes out. Interesting side note on driving the snakes out of Ireland. Years ago, you know, we, we go down to Mardi Gras and do evangelism, and me and my buddy Phil, we got talking and we said, you know, instead of driving 14 hours, we had a witness here around home. So we started, we said, we need to go up to and do some outreach at St. Patrick's Day. So we did. And within probably 20 minutes of being there, I met a man who was a druid, straight up. And we ended up having an interesting conversation. Look, we didn't agree. End up shaking his hand. I said, I pray you come to know the Lord. But one thing I still remember from that conversation, he said this. He said, I know Patrick, when it says Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland, he goes, those weren't snakes. I said, I know. He goes, I said, what were they? He said, satanic spirits. That man knew that. I mean, do we realize what we're fighting against sometimes? That's what Patrick had kicked out of Ireland. The snakes have been gone since at least the Ice Age. He drove the darkness out. When the light of the gospel comes in, darkness must flee. Those snakes fled in Jesus' name. So I want to have three observations. I mean, Patrick goes on, preaches the gospel. Many miracles happen. Baptizes, leads many to Christ. Baptizes thousands, ends up dying. Um, and March 17th, 461. Again, March 17th is the day we celebrate his life. Simply as because that's the day we know he died. Observations. What can we learn from Patrick's life? First one is this, Patrick understood the power of the gospel. Amen? What did Paul say in Romans 1 and 16? He said, for I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for them that believe, for the Jew first and then the Greek. But it's the power of God. Patrick understood this. He knew this quite well. In his, again, in his confession, he said, it is right that we should fish well and diligently as the Lord directs and teaches when He says, follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. This is what the Lord says in the Gospel. He warns and teaches in these words, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all your days, even to the end of the earth. Guess where the end of the earth was at this time? Ireland. This was way before Christopher Columbus. I mean, to, to the, the, that world, I mean, there was obviously people here and whatnot. And other, but to them, this was the ends of the earth. I mean, they took this literally. We're taking the gospel forth and they're seeing the power of it. Again, he says, this is Patrick quoting the Lord, Go out therefore to the whole world and announce the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And yet again, the gospel of the kingdom will be announced all over the world as a testimony to all nations, and then will come the end. And it's interesting, I'm going to flip through here, gentlemen. I'm going to come back to that. I had those out of order. Talking about driving the snakes out of Ireland, it's amazing what's happening in our time. I mean, where the moorings are being undone, not only in our own country, but this, this was a festival in Ireland in 2022, as we can see right here, it's actually happening again. What is this? That is the, like the, the theme, the emblem for the entire festival. Is that coincidence or is that on purpose? Because they were celebrating debauchery, LGBTQ, XYZ, NYWX225, whatever. Um, all these things. And it, it's also interesting, in the last five years, that they have permitted abortion in a land that was firmly firmly Catholic, but Christian. They have just now permitted abortion in this land. The snakes are coming back, unfortunately, people, my friends. Not only in Ireland. I mean, what's that say about us? Not only are they at the door, but they have come in like a flood. So we need to raise up a standard. I'm going to go back here real quick. So that was from a festival. I just saw an article on that Friday. On, I was reading through the news, and there was an article. I'm like, wow, the timing on that. So that's my first observation. He understood the power of the gospel. My second observation, Patrick understood the need for good theology. 1 John 5, 6 and 9, 6 through 9 tells us this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Patrick understood the need for good theology. The Druids actually had three gods as their main gods. There was probably hundreds of gods from what I read, but there were three main ones. I'm not going to name them because I actually forgot to write it down. Not that it matters because they're a small G god. But he understood he's going in a dark land. These people need the truth. They don't need false theology. And guess what he did? Speaking of the triune Godhead. You ever seen that before? Ireland's full of those. So are my fields here at home. But you know what? Anyone can find a three-leaf clover. But who, who can find four-leaf clovers? My wife would be one. You can? Very good. 
You know what? My mother was another. She could find four-leaf clovers. Her and Allison are like the two people. That maybe was a sign from God. Maybe I ought to marry this woman, finding four-leaf clover. Anyway, that's a side note. But this three-leaf clover, think about this. Think about using stuff from nature and something simple, but teaching this is one, right? This is one. It's one entire shamrock. They call them islands. We'll call them that. But you have the Father. You have the Son. You have the Holy Spirit. They're distinct, but they're one. Amen? God gives you analogies. I'm sure God gave that Patrick. And this one right here, it's kind of the same thing. I just threw this up there. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit. And on and on and on. But they're three in one. Theology is important. And using stuff even from nature or something maybe in your own life, for an example, that made me think of Conrad Schreiner. I remember when we witness to those guys putting that pipeline through his property. He said, I want you to come out here and preach to these guys. And I'm like, okay, this will be interesting. These are a bunch of pipeliners and whatnot. So we preached and had a good time. And I remember, Conrad, what did you do? You had a piece of paper and you went down and you made a cross out of it and had the story of the gospel from a simple piece of paper. But using pictures like that, a cross made out of paper or a shamrock, that is very, very powerful, especially if it's dealing with theology like a three-leaf clover. So second observation, I'll get back on course here, was that he understood good theology. And I want to again read um, some of his own writings, his own words on this. This is because there is no other God. This is Patrick speaking. Nor will there ever be, nor has there ever was, except God the Father. He is the one who was, who was not begotten, the one without a beginning, the one from whom all beginnings come, and the one who holds all things in being. This is our teaching. And His Son, Jesus Christ, whom we testify has always been since before the beginning of this age, with the Father in a spiritual way. He was begotten in an indescribable way before the beginning. Everything we can see and everything beyond our sight was made through Him. Speaking of Christ, that's Colossians 2. He became a human being and having overcome death, was welcomed to the heavens to the Father. The Father gave Him all power over every being, both heavenly and earthly and beneath the earth. Let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, in whom we believe and, whom, and in whom we await to come back to us in the near future, is Lord and God. He is judge of the living and the dead. He rewards every person according to their deeds. He has generously poured out on us the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, a third part of that shamrock, if you will, the gift and promise of immortality who makes believers and those who listen to be children of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is the one we acknowledge and adore. One God in a trinity of the sacred name. Amen? So he understood good theology and the need for it. And a third observation from Patrick's life, Patrick understood forgiveness. Think about that. How did he understand forgiveness? After being enslaved, he could have had the right to be angry the rest of his days and even wanting vengeance, but he didn't. He got to know God, and more importantly, he got to know the heart of God, and he forgave his captors, and he went back and brought them the words of life. Even to the point he was willing to leave his cushy Roman, his dad was a councilman in that, in that society there, and the councilman, that was a pretty posh, I guess is a British term, position, had it easy, they had servants and whatnot. He was willing to leave this behind against his parents and his family's pleading to go back and bring the gospel to these pagan heathen people whom he loved. He was willing to lay down the comfort. It makes me think of Moses a little bit, laying down the comforts 
um, to be associated with the people of God. And he went and brought them the light of the gospel, even willing to die for that. Um, makes me think of the words of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Think about this in the context of Patrick. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. Friends, you can't hate your enemies and go preach the gospel to them. Come on. All right? So those are three observations. He understood the gospel. The first one, he understood the need for good theology. And the third one, he understood forgiveness. Now I want to have three applications because you're probably sitting here thinking, come on, man, it's almost noon. My stomach's growling, whatnot. Are you still with me? You may be thinking, how does this apply to me today? How does Patrick, who lived in the 4th century, how does this apply to me today or going forward? I have three ways I want to suggest what applies. First is this. Many Christians, and you can nod your head if you've ever been in this boat before, you wonder, can God really use me? You ever felt that way before? You know, I don't know what my calling is. Can God use me? Anyone? I know I've been there as well. Indeed, He can and He will. Patrick's life shows us this. Trust the Lord and pray that you may have vision like Patrick. Believe God and say yes to Him. And I think that's a big thing about Patrick. Don't want to go down this rabbit trail a whole lot. He simply said yes. He heard from the Lord. He had he, he would commune over a hundred times a day, it said. He would commune with the Lord. God would give him dreams, visions, maybe as an older man, to be biblically correct. And but he would listen. And when God told him to do something, he would do it. He would also listen to the authorities over him. But that's important. But he said yes to God. God and your timing. That's huge. See, we see this in Patrick's life. He learned to know God. I just kind of said this. Then he learned to say the rest. Or say yes to him, and the rest is history. The second way I would say this would apply, or the application to us today, we can learn that apparent misfortunes and setbacks can prove to be spiritual opportunities. Patrick's six years of captivity gave him the chance to develop a rich prayer life and come into a relationship with God. And it said the same sun hardens clay, it also softens wax, right? It really depends on the issue of my heart. If I choose to be bitter, you know, it's going to not go well with me. I'll be hardened like that clay. But if I'm going to choose to be better and not bitter, you know what? I'll be like wax and I'll melt and I'll have God's heart and I'll have His love for mankind. I want to go tell them the Gospel of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Amen? See, Patrick was a fairly ordinary Christian, believe it or not. They have made him to be legends. One year when we go down to St. Patrick's Day, I think I might just take a video camera and just record people who is St. Patrick? I would love to hear people's reactions to that because you'd get the spectrum. I mean, he's almost mythological, right? What he has become. It's sort of like Valentine's. Let's have Valentine's Day. Do you realize Valentine was a martyr for the faith? Yeah, most people don't realize that. But what, what it has become, it, it's morphed into something it didn't start out as. But St. Patrick, who was he really? He was really a fairly ordinary Christian, but he had an extraordinary prayer life. He knew God. May that be a challenge to us. 
And then the third application is stay the course. Galatians 6 and 9 tells us, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We're going to reap a harvest if we stay the course, if we do not lose heart. Don't grow weary in doing good. Saints know this. Our efforts serving God can bear fruit many years later. Why do I say this? Because many years later, Irish missionaries went to Europe and revitalized the church during the Dark Ages. And these missionaries coming from Ireland, where they'd been incubated with the gospel that was brought there by Patrick, their, their roots can be traced back to Patrick's time. It is still bearing fruit. Think about this. 1,700 years later, I'm up here preaching a sermon about a man. And was he a saint? The same way you and me are saints, amen? You realize he's never actually been canonized by the Catholic Church. They will, not most Catholics, but like official Rome will acknowledge. He was not sent there by the Pope. He's not been canonized, but he is the official saint of Ireland. I will give him that. But what is a saint, friends? Read the epistles, especially Paul, to the saints in Ephesus to the saints in Colossae, right? The saints are the one who have heard the word of God, the ecclesia that called out one and obeyed. We're saints. Should we revere Patrick? Yes, this was an extraordinary life. This was an exceptional life. It should spur us on to faith and good works. It should show what God can do in someone's life who just trusts Him, that He can raise up. I don't know, you may not be called to reach a nation. Maybe you are. I mean, this challenges me. I'm not making this about me, but I'm thinking about even... New Straitsville for years. I couldn't get away from that. I mean, I was reading a book on Patrick. It kept coming back up. Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. And that was happening in my life. I'd run into people from there. And i just think, and I don't know why. That, it was God. What's your New Straitsville? What's your Ireland? Maybe it isn't being a missionary. Maybe you're a housewife. I don't know. But you, you're to raise those kids. You're a missionary and at home. But God has callings for each of us. And when He says go, go. Amen? I want to close with a poem written by Patrick. This is part of a poem. It's actually called Patrick's Breastplate. He wore some of these things. He actually, I think at times it said, would wear them as a breastplate as he's going into times of great trial. Aaron actually, how many read the text uh, Friday about the sermon? I want to see a show of hands who actually reads these. Oh, a few of you, good. Praise the Lord. Aaron sent this out. It shows the Christocentricity of, Christ, or of, of Patrick that Christ was the center of his life. Jesus was his everything. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort me and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in the hearts of all who love me. Christ in the mouth of friend and stranger. What was the theme there? Christ. Let that be our theme as well. Amen. Why don't we stand? Um, I want to close. Since I'm a good a, a son of an Irish grandmother, Allison's cringing right now. I didn't even need to look. <clears throat> Turn to number 13. And I thought this was interesting, and I'm, I'm not trying to put Marvin too much on the, the spot. If you heard me sing last week, and I was thankful for that time uh, we learned to sing, it was Sophage, Sophage, what was that? Sophage? Sophage, okay, yeah, Sophage, okay, very good, that, amen. Not very good singing, but I really appreciate that time. But I've wondered about this, Marvin. Right under Be Thou My Vision, it says slain. I found that very interesting because that's the hill where he lit that fire, and that fire was the, really the gospel. What does that mean right there? 
That's the name of the tune. And it says here, this was an Irish hymn from the 10th century, um, translated in the early 20th century. Do we have time to sing all five verses? Let's do it. 